Luke chapter 23. We're going to read a bit of a chunk of a passage really, but it helps. So uh, Luke 23 verse 26. As they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in uh, from the country and laid him on a cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots uh, to divide his garments, and the people stood by uh, watching. But the rulers scoffed him, saying, uh, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who, were, who was hanged and railed at, railed at him saying, you are not the Christ. Sorry, you are, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence and condemnation, and we, inde- indeed, just, uh, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward from our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it was about the sixth hour and darkness was over the whole of the land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn into two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance 
uh, uh, watching these things. Uh, Fleur, I've lost my oofy-doofy. It's in my bag somewhere. So if you can, uh, that'll do. We'll start. I'll give you a nod when to change it. My subject, as I said uh, early, was one of the sayings of uh, Jesus on the cross. The one in particular is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the seven sayings of Jesus. And what I would like to do is that I'd actually like to set a scene uh, to those seven sayings. And uh, so, if you like, I will talk about it in specific terms. But what I would like to do is talk about the, the whole event that was going on on the cross just generally to start off with. You know, if Christians were, were not so familiar with these things because of tw- 2,000 years of tradition and religion, they might feel how utterly unlikely that this death would be the basis of a world religion. <laughs> they might wonder that this has become a world transforming faith because in the end this was a convicted condemned executed pretender to the throne of the uh, to the throne of Rome and yet the consequence of these few moments uh, on a cross would shape not only the Roman empire but would shape the whole of the world in which we now live And the Christian answer to that sort of unlikely thing, how did this man, how did this man affect so many and have such a global influence? The answer is the death of Jesus Christ was absolutely unique. It was unique. And his resurrection from the dead three days later was an act of God to vindicate what his death achieved. And his uniqueness was not necessarily in the intensity or, of the, or the emotional impact of the physical pain. Uh, that was unspeakably terrible. And we mustn't minimize what was actually a gruesome uh, way of dying. But I believe the uniqueness of the death of Jesus lies elsewhere. So I want to look at that, the uniqueness of the death of Jesus. I want to suggest firstly that it was an unparalleled divinity. The death of Jesus Christ was unique because he was one of a kind. When asked, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed? Are you the son of God? Jesus just said, I am. It was, it was a, an incredible claim, really. The Messiah was expected to be powerful. He was expected to be glorious. He was expected to be uh, highly exalted in everything that he did from the moment of his birth right the way through uh, his life. But here was Jesus about to be crucified, saying openly, uh, and had said openly during his ministry, I'm the Messiah, I'm, I'm the King of Israel. And he 
adds words, doesn't he? Even at this crucial point where he is about to die, he says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He's not yet died. And you think, that's one heck of a claim that you've got there, mate, at that point. In other words, he expected... As he moved towards death, he expects that he will reign at God's right hand and he will come back again to the earth in which he lives in a blaze of glory where every eye will see and actually every tongue confess. He was more than mere human, not less He was, as the ancient Nicene Creed describes him, very God of very God. They were just having a little bit of difficulty with that, weren't they? How do you describe God? Well, he was very God of very God. Okay, that'll do. Christ existed before creation. He's co-eternal with God the Father. He was not created. There was no point when he did not exist forever and ever In the past, God has existed in one divine essence in three persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And this was the testimony of those who encountered him, who saw him, who talked with him, who experienced him. So you see, right at the very beginning, John starts in his gospel and he's trying to get over the person that he just spent uh, time with. He's he's trying to explain, this person that I spent time with, I want to explain to him who he is. He he was struggling to to comprehend it. And he sort of says, look, you know, the guy that I was with in the beginning was the word. And, the, and he was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning, in the beginning with God, all things were made through him. And without him, not anything that was made was made. And the world became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we've seen his glory, glory as only uh, the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he's saying, this is what I saw. This is whom I encountered. This is the person whom I walked with and spoke with. This was very God. And Jesus himself said things that, that only make sense if he was both God and, and man. For example, he forgave sin. Mark chapter 2, right at the very beginning of Mark, Mark's gospel, he turns and he says, My son... Your sins, they are forgiven. Can you imagine the reaction to that? Who, what? Who does he think he is? It's the the thing actually that finally would get him killed. Finally would get him uh, crucified. And, And you can understand that. You can understand them saying, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive but God alone. Oh, you know, this guy say, I, I am God. It's an understandable reaction. C.S. Lewis said this. It's really quite an interesting quote. And it took me a little while to understand it, but I'm sure that you will understand it quicker than me because you are brighter than me. 
So here we go. C.S. Lewis said this. If somebody cheats me out of five pounds, it is quite possible and reasonable for me to say, well, I forgive him. We'll say no more about it. But what on earth would you say if someone had done you out of five pounds and then I said, that's all right, I forgive him. You got it. Because that's what Jesus was doing. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Because sin is sin because it's against God first. And he was saying, well, when Rupert, you sin against David, except we're putting this in a Palestinian context, okay? When you sin against David, he was saying, hold on, I have to do the forgiveness thing because it's against me. I'm not saying that I'm God, but you see what I mean? That's how it was working. Sin is, against, sin, is sin because it's against God first. Jesus was not a lunatic. He forgave sins because he was God. He could forgive that that was going on. This is what his words and his deeds pointed towards when he said, I and the Father are one, which almost got him stoned on the spot. It says in the Bible, in the book of John, they picked up stones to, to stone him. So he said, ah, we, we're one. Another time he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now you imagine that as he's speaking that out in the context of religious leaders and people that knew uh, the Old Testament. The word I am not only signaled his existence before Abraham lived, so 2,000 years earlier, but it was the same reference that God gave of himself. God had said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this uh, to the people of Israel. I uh, tell them that I am sent you, sent me. So Jesus was saying, hey, look, I am. And they knew that. They knew that. He said, I I am very God. And Jesus not only explained who he was in being very God, He also explained the future. But they were not so bright in picking this one up. Explained what would happen. And some of the things were breathtaking. You wonder how on earth they missed them. So he said, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. That I am God. So I'm telling you this so that you might know. And it's really interesting. Because what what he was saying was, I am the God of Israel, the Lord of the universe. But I am him in human form amongst you. And this is why the death of Jesus is unparalleled. Only the death of the divine Son of God could achieve what God intended to do by his death. It's, it was also unparalleled innocence. The death of, of Christ was unique also because he was totally innocent. Not just innocent of crimes, crimes of blasphemy or crimes of treason, but of all sin. He once asked his enemies, which one of you convicts me of sin? Well, they couldn't convict him of sin. Even his enemies. Now, I know if I stood up here and I had a few of my enemies and said, enemies, what would you 
like to say about me? It would come with a barrage of stuff, would it not? It's like sort of getting Rupert, I shouldn't sit on the front, I Rupert up here and saying, look, just for 10 minutes, everything that you would like to say to Rupert, let's say now. You know, why have you come wearing that Welsh shirt again? You know, all that stuff. You know, the beard would come, the glasses would come, the trainers would come, everything would come. Everything would be a bombardment at him. Fleur's lips going down, so I need to stop now. But if you can imagine, if I did that or I got anybody else, it would be an bombardment of criticism. Which one of you convicts me of sin? They were silent. That is outstanding, isn't it? Outstanding. You know, Rupert would buy three or four. I might have a thousand, Rupert. You know, I, I, I've just lived longer so people can criticize me longer. It would be just like that. His disciple, disciple Peter, who knew him well and knew his own failings well, his disciple Peter, do you remember him? The guy that mucked it up. He writes in his book, he was a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, he'd been treated personally by Jesus. Do you remember at the end how he'd been treated? How he'd walked with him? He had betrayed him and all that. So he'd gone through the agony of what might people call pastoral problems. He'd gone through that. And what did he say about him? Hey, I, he was without blemish or spot. Outstanding. Jesus' refusal to fight back when he was unjustly condemned and killed cemented the conviction, didn't it? That he was sinless. Peter goes on in his book and says, he, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in, his, found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in turn. When he suffered, he, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The reason Jesus' death brought all Jewish sacrifices to an end is that he became the final perfect sacrifice. That no other sacrifice can match with this perfect sacrifice. He offered himself without blemish to God. His death was unparalleled because it was sinless. It was unparalleled in its design. Jesus' death was unparalleled in human history because it was planned and predestined by God for our salvation. Beneath the controversy that even goes today about who actually killed Jesus... The deepest truth is this, God did. We argued, oh, well, you know, who did that? I think sometimes, you know, having been a little bit, uh, uh, done a little bit of Bible college, sometimes these things tickle the fancy of theologians. But the Bible's very clear. No, I did it. And I saw that it would come to pass. God did it. As a terrifying unfolding of the night appeared Minute after minute, Jesus said this. All this has taken place, that the scriptures and the prophets might be fulfilled. Who spoke through the scriptures and the prophets? 
God did. All this is his work. All the details, down to the the very small detail, was planned by God. You can read, can't you, about the rolling of the dice. That's extreme. That's not an event worth putting in Scripture, is it? But just so that you might know that this is the Son of God, when they roll the dice, I'm going to prophesy about it some years so, so that you can know. It's sort of, sort of almost like saying, on the day that you go into the kitchen and choose the yellow mug, this will occur. It's that sort of strange thing, really. Just a few guys rolling dice. You think everybody would go, oh, that sort of thing. And rather than breaking uh, his legs, they took a spear to his side. That was prophesied about. All of it was planned by the Father and predicted in the Scriptures. The early church summed it up like this. Truly, in the city they were gathered all together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and all the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take, in place, to take place. Acts chapter 4. He did it. Central to Christianity is the truth that God sent his son to die. You know the scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Jesus' death was unique because there is only one son and only one divine plan for salvation flow. It's unparalleled authority in death. The death of Christ was unique because Jesus not only submitted willingly to his Father, not my will be yours be done, but also embraced it and pursued it himself with his own authority. One of the most stunning statements that Jesus ever made about his own death and resurrection is found in John chapter 10. It's clear. He says... I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. No one ever spoke about his own life and death in that way. The overwhelming testimony of the New Testament is that the controversy who killed Jesus is actually very marginal. He chose to die. His father ordained it. He embraced it. One ordered things, the other one obeyed. The authority was in God's hands and in Jesus' hands because Jesus was God. They did it together. It was unparalleled. Uh, If you're listening to this on the internet, you're going to go, why am I saying Fleur? She's just pressing the buttons because I forgot to put the thingy up here. So I do apologize. But Phil Harmon, if you're listening to this and trying to edit, just edit out Fleur, okay? But not reality because because Rupert loves Fleur, so we mustn't edit her out of this. So... 
He was unparalleled in the meaning of the word. I was just getting into deep water there. The death of Jesus Christ was unparalleled because it it accompanied by unique events full of meaning for the world. First, there were statements of incomparable love and authority from Jesus on the cross. No crucified man dying in agony would ever speak like this. One of the thieves who was crucified with Jesus finally repented and said astonishingly, Jesus, remember me when you come into your, come into your kingdom. The answer is, it's a bit late now, isn't it, mate? Don't you think? That's the answer. No. He says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the one, the voice of the one who decides where people spend eternity. You've got one guy on this side, and he's going, and he's having a go, tough. And you go, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think that's quite a great place to die. If you're going to die, die there, I think. That's to die next to him. The thief was not the only one who received mercy. Our text, Jesus looked over those who crucified him and said these outstanding words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it's interesting. You can make him bleed. You can hurt him. You can make him weep. You could make his body physically crushed. But you could not make the Son of God hate you. Even at that point... And at the moment where death was near, Jesus cries out, It is finished! And he bows his head and gives up his spirit. And by this he didn't mean, well, I'm just really glad that that's over. He meant, I've accomplished the redeeming work that my Father sent me to do. I've done it. A lifetime of sinless obedience to God, followed by horrific suffering and death. That's why he came. Now it's finished. Now it's finished. The meaning of what he accomplished is symbolized by a surprising event in nearby Jerusalem. You all know it. In the holy place of the Jewish temple, where only the high priest could go once a year, the curtain split in two as Jesus died. The scripture says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus died, when his flesh was torn by God from top to bottom, the curtain separating ordinary people from himself was split. The fellowship for God was now open. No human mediator was no longer needed. Jesus split open a way for direct access to God on the cross. He became the only mediator 
Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened up through us, for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, let us draw near with confidence. It was unparalleled uh, vindication. The work of redemption was finished. The payment of reconciliation between God and man was complete. Now it only remained for God to confirm the achievement by raising Jesus from the dead. This was the way that Jesus predicted. More than once he'd said, we're going up to Jerusalem. You'd think they would get it, wouldn't you? We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets, now guys, it will be accomplished. You can imagine them going, yeah, got that. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. Yeah, mocked, we've got that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then shamefully treated and spat upon. Shamefully treated and spat You'd think they would be writing notes at this point, wouldn't you? It's almost as if it, it doesn't fit in their mind. And after flogging, after flogging, yeah, they will kill him, okay? Now listen carefully. And on the third day he will rise. You can, it's almost as if it just does not go in. Because on the third day, when he does rise, they don't believe a fig, do they? It's just some women that come and say, praise God for women sometimes. Don't you think, come on. Us men are so stupid in regard to faith. Why did God give men women? Because sometimes men are just bone right stupid in regard to faith. That's one reason. Because the women come and say, he is risen. And they go, nah. And here's Jesus saying to them, look guys, just get this in your head. On the third day, I will rise. Praise God for women of faith. I praise God for my wife because I'm one of these guys that every time we have an offering, I'm always... Let's put the 50p in, okay? My wife is one of those that says, no, we put the 500 in. We go home quiet. In the, why, why has God given me this? Why do I want this home? Because I need to learn faith, guys. Come on, ladies, give us a poke sometimes. This is not in my sermon. Just move on. It have, so, three days later... Three days later, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, early Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. And for 40 days, he appears at uh, numerous times. It's, uh, I think, and, some, and you think, they're still not getting it. He presented himself alive after suffering uh, uh, by many proofs. The disciples were so slow to believe. And yet they were not gullible thickies. We just challenge us all. Sometimes we are so slow to believe. They were down-to-earth tradesmen. They knew people didn't rise from the dead. But sometimes Jesus has to prove himself to us again and again. I'm going to ask you, 
You know, do you allow Jesus to prove himself to you? He, he sat them down. He said, look, see my hands, see my feet. Touch me. Touch me. For the spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. They thought he was a ghost. Look, you can touch me. And then he sort of said, you know, just to make sure, go, I'll have a bit of fish with you. No chips, just fish. And he took it and he ate them. And he ate it with them. This was the Son of Man risen from the dead. This was him. This was not a, a resuscitated corpse, corpse. This was the resurrection of the Son of God into a new indestructible life of kingly rule at God's right hand. The earthly church eventually got hold of it and said, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus had finished the unparalleled work of God that God gave him to do. The resurrection was proof that he'd done all that the Father had asked him to do. So we better speak about the text. It was an unparalleled act. Jesus' first and last words on the cross were a prayer to his Father. I don't know what you would be doing if you were in a situation like that. But in the midst of extreme pain and separation from his Father, he cries out, Father. I think that's a huge lesson in life. He cries out, Father. He knew that ultimately his relationship with his father would not be lost. Hey, catch it. See it. He asked his father to forgive those people who were putting him to death. Jewish leaders, Roman soldiers, Roman politicians, rulers, people, and praise. Father, forgive them. One would have thought you'd have said, Father, blast them. That's what you would think, couldn't you? But God answered that prayer and opened up a, a way of salvation, even for Jesus' murderers and people who would crucify him. So we know that the centurion who crucified him said, surely this was the Son of God. See the effect of that prayer already piercing into a a Roman soldier's life. It's interesting, by the time you get to uh, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6 tells us that many priests from Jerusalem become Christians. These are the same priests that crucified him. But now, they're in the church. How did that happen? Because one man stood on a cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Opening a way. Because the Bible says all have sinned, we mustn't be disconnected with this. Because every one of us has played a part in nailing Jesus to that cross. 
if you want to know who killed him, I did. I killed him. My sin. I nailed him to that cross. But what does that mean? It means that I can receive this forgiveness too. I killed him and I can be forgiven. Uh, This is a quote. I got it from uh, one of my commentaries. It says, unknown quote. It could be David Simpkins, but I'm not sure. Unknown quotes. I just need my glasses. I don't know whether you do this, but I highlight quotes in blue and then I can't read them. Unknown quotes. Heaven viewed with grief and amazement Christ hanging upon the cross. Blood flowing from his wounded temples and sweat tinged with blood blood standing upon his brow. From his hands and from his feet the blood fell, drop by drop, until the rock drilled for the foot of the cross. The wounds made by the nails gaped as the weight of his body dragged upon his hands. His laboured breath grew quick and deep as his soul panted under the burden of sin of the world. All heaven was filled with wonder then when the prayer of the Son of God was offered in the midst of this terrible suffering. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yet there stood men, formed in the image of God, joining to crush the life out the only begotten Son. And heaven understands the impact of those words and wonders. Wonder. Heaven sees it. Do you see it? It's a wonderful example, an illustration of God and his own teaching. Over and over again, he just said this, forgiveness of hurts and wrongs is right. If anyone has a right to be vengeful, he does. And yet he had the power that you don't to avenge. And instead of prayer, instead he prayed, Father, forgive them. Jesus forgave all those that nailed him to a cross. Here is the most unjust situation in history. Put yours into context, it's not as unjust as this. It just isn't. And yet forgiveness was extended without limit. If Christ forgave in this way from the cross, no sin we've committed is too great for his forgiveness. And as we experience that forgiveness, the work of the cross, we are freed to forgive those who have sinned against us. It's interesting that forgiveness doesn't do anything for the other person in regard to forgiving one to another, but it releases you. If you cannot forgive, 
It's you that's bound, not the other person. And if you can't forgive for years, it's you that gets bound more and more and more as time goes on. And it's you that will allow a root of bitterness. And it's you that will make decisions. And my, my advice to you is forgive early. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Forgive. I have uh, experienced uh, having to ask for forgiveness and uh, having a very, very curt letter back when I asked for forgiveness. And it was really interesting that the person that asked me to write this letter said this. They said that, uh, that all that unforgiveness does is imprison us. And he said, when you write this letter, it will... It will open a door for you and you can walk out. And it was true. <laughs> it's strange. That, that, but it is the power of forgiveness. The power. Christ helps us to release our bitterness and resentments which only imprison us. His forgiveness empowers us to be a forgiving people to those who have hurt us. We, we, for, we forgive them much. We forgive. That's who we are. It's how defines us. Matthew Henry commentary on this passage said this. He went to the cross. He went by the cross to a crown. And we must not think of going any other way or being perfected but by our sufferings. It's not the crown first to cope with the suffering. It's the cross to gain a crown. You know, so many people want, well, if you give me a crown, I will do this. And, and when everything is sorted out in life, I can serve God and do all this. And Jesus says, no. He said, the way that we do this is that we go through suffering to, create, to have a crown. And then Matthew Henry said, I agree. In April 1831, Charles Simeon, who was 71 years old, had been the pastor of Trinity Church, Cambridge, England, for 49 years. He had suffered 49 years of persecution. He was asked one afternoon by his friend Joseph Gurney how he had uh, surmounted persecution and outlasted the great prejudice against him in a 49-year-old ministry. He said to Gurney, my dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. He said, when I'm I'm getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear a little bit of prickling on my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted all the sufferings and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We soon shall be partakers of the victory. I thought it was a wonderful quote about life. We just read it. When I'm getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear a little prickling on my legs. I don't know what, what you think, but in regard to salvation and eternal life, actually... I know this will offend you. What you face in this world, according to biblical understanding, is a little prickling on your legs. Why? Because it is put in the context of eternal life and eternity. And sometimes you have to go, hey, it's just a little bit of prickling on my legs. But my head is through. 
2 Timothy 4 verse 8, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord of righteous judge will award, award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. A crown? Why a crown? Aren't crowns for kings? Yes, of course they are. And they're, cra- and they're, and they're crowns for, for kings' children's too. Yours. If I can bear through this suffering, I've got a crown to wear. Being a person that was brought up on hymns and not choruses, we only had a chorus book called CSSM. We were allowed to sing one chorus uh, in the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. That was the chorus that we sang. Other than that, it was hymns. David's checking his watch. I'm just going to show... I'm about here, David. Okay, all right. Just here, right. The date. Oh, you're checking the... Um, it's that bad, is it? <laughs> so, and as a boy, as a boy, when you're brought up on hymns, there are what I call the boring hymns, and then the, the, the ones that, as a boy, you really like, you know, like those sort of things. And, and as a boy, this... I, I was, a, I was a, a Charles Wesley fan, and particularly the one, And Can It Be?, where he, sa- he says this. He said, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus, all in him is mine. <laughs> Alive in him, my living head, and clothed with righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne. And claim the crown through Christ, my own. All that was achieved through Jesus' death on a cross. And when he cried, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The words go through generations. And right now they're on our heads. Right now. Because he has interceded in his worst state for us so that we can stand here completely forgiven. The prayer was offered. We received it. We are completely forgiven. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. We are clothed in his righteousness. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We have a table laid for us in heaven. He will will say, welcome home, good and faithful servant. How did all that come? It came through one man's act on a cross for us. Let's stand and worship him.